Welcome to Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker, and I'm an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, I'm bringing in voices from two guest faculty at IBC. Last year, Dr. Yeshaya Gruber from IBC interviewed Dr. Amy Jill Levine and Dr. Mark Brettler for one of the fantastic roundtable talks that we invite our students to listen in on. They talked about Levine and Brettler's new book called The Bible With and Without Jesus, How Jews and Christians Read the Same Stories Differently. Let's start with listening to what Dr. Levine said about how this book came to be. And I had been doing a number of programs on how Jews and Christians read the same text differently, whether it's uh, the suffering servant in Isaiah, if you can even talk about a suffering servant, or how we understand creation or how we understand Jonah. Uh, So I thought this would be a great idea. I spoke to Mark about it. Mark thought it was a great idea. I thought, great, I get to work with Mark again. Um, and the press thought it was a good idea as well. So we took some of the notes that we had been using. Mark teaches primarily um, Old Testament Tanakh. I teach primarily New Testament. And we were consistently seeing that our students did not know how the other half read. The, the Christians didn't understand the Jewish readings. The Jews didn't understand what the New Testament was at all. So we thought this book would be fun to write and it would be helpful for a number of audiences. Sometimes Christian students or when we're doing work in church context, like we get invited in as a guest lecturer, scholar in residence, um, Christians keep coming up to us and saying, you know, if you just read the Old Testament, that Christian term, if you just read the Old Testament carefully, it would prove to you that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So one of the other contributions of this book is to let our Christian friends know that even when Jews look at those texts, We have other interpretations, as Mark just pointed out. The rabbis had some things to say about those texts as well, um, so that they don't actually prove anything. And at the same time, we can show our Jewish readers, it makes perfect sense that a Christian would find Jesus prefigured in Isaiah or the Psalms or the creation narrative. So it takes away that urge to convert and instead replaces it with an, an invitation to mutual respect. One of our IBC faculty I know you're familiar with is Dr. Nicholas Shazer. He teaches in synagogues and in churches all over the place. He even did his PhD work with Dr. Levine, which is so cool. So I asked him if he sees this kind of confusion in the different audiences that he teaches. And he brought up one of many, but one of the less obvious causes of reading the same text, but with completely different interpretations. You know, there's a set canon and a set order of the books in in the Tanakh, in what Christians call the Old Testament. And um, and that order, uh, although the same books are in, say, the Protestant canon, um, the actual order of the books 
is different. So, for example, from a Christian Protestant perspective, the Old Testament ends with the prophet Malachi. Um, part of the reason for this is that the last thing that Malachi says is that Elijah will come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And then you turn the page and you get into Matthew in the New Testament as a Protestant Christian, and you read about John the Baptist being the new Elijah and being sent before Jesus the Messiah. So to the Protestant view, it's quite a nice transition between Malachi and Matthew. Uh, but in the Jewish Bible, in the Tanakh, the order is different. The last book is not Malachi. The last book is Second Chronicles. And what we end with is uh, King Cyrus the Persian, who beats up on, on the Babylonians and becomes the new world power and allows Jews to leave exile in Babylon and go home. King Cyrus says, you know, anybody who wants to go to Jerusalem, let that person go up. And that's it. The, um, so, so the end kind of uh, theme of, of the entire canon in the, in the Jewish order is, you know, if you're Jewish, go home. You know, go live in Israel, essentially. So that's, that's what you end with. So, so that is, I mean, Protestants and, and traditional Jews can be reading the same books in the same text, and if it's in a different order, that can change the message of what they're reading. In the same way, I will ask my students to find the book of Ruth, because in the Tanakh, she's with like wisdom literature, <laughs> and in the Protestant Bible, the book is with what we consider to be the historical books, and so immediately you're reading the exact same words, but with a different lens because the order has told you what type of literature it is, which is so fascinating. That's right. Yep. So, right. In, in the Tanakh, in the Jewish canon, Ruth is in what's called the Ketuvim, the third section of the Tanakh. Tanakh is just an acronym, stands for Torah, Nevi'im, which is prophets, and Ketuvim, which is writings. So if you're a traditional Jewish person and you're reading through, yeah, I mean, if, if Ruth is in the same area as, say, Daniel or, or the Psalms, it's going to give you a different valence and a different understanding of the text. In, in, the, in Christian order, it's right after Judges. Why? Because Ruth begins with, in the days of the Shoftim, in the days of the Judges. So it's a chronological reason. That is, when these different groups are even setting up the order of their texts, there are different choices to be made, let alone different choices in interpretation of the actual text. There's organizational choices that are being made as well. Most of the roundtable talk is actually what to do with the New Testament. Jews and Christians, obviously, have a different conclusion about who Jesus was. So who should be reading the text that is all about Jesus? And Dr. Brettler brings up an incredibly important point. So uh, once I was giving a class in Mark Goodacre's Introduction to New Testament class, and I was wearing my kippah, my name. It was perfectly clear that I'm Jewish. And one of the students comes up to me and says, well, you're really Christian, aren't you? Because the assumption of the student was that you have to be Christian to have read the New Testament, to be intellectually in interested in the New Testament, and to be engaged with the New Testament in any way. And you know, from well before co-editing the Jewish Annotated, New Testament, but certainly through that project, a lot of what AJ and I have been trying to do is to reclaim the New Testament as a Jewish book produced by Jews. Now, let me be really careful here. By reclaim, I do not mean either that we are converting or that we're trying to take it away from Christianity, but we are reclaiming it historically as a Jewish book of tremendous importance and feeling, especially in the American context, 
where we both primarily live, where the New Testament is the predominant bulk of the culture around us, that it is crucial that Jews as a minority understand this very significant book. These are Jewish texts for the most part. Um, some of them are written by Jews, like the letters of Paul, because Paul is clearly Jewish. The Gospels talk about major Jewish figures like Jesus and Jesus' mother Mary and the Apostle Peter and so on. Um, so if, if we Jews want to know more about our own history, the New Testament is actually one of our best sources, along with Josephus and Philo and the Dead Sea Scrolls and so on for understanding first century Jewish history. If I wanna know about women in the Galilee, the New Testament is in fact one of my best sources. So to read the New Testament as Jewish literature fills in the gaps that we Jews might have. I mean, I remember when I was a child, uh, my, my Hebrew school, my Sunday school, we were great up until the Maccabees and suddenly like magic, we were in the Mishnah. So you know, what happened in between? Testament is very helpful. And it also tells us the past that, that the rabbinic tradition did not take. So I also think it's helpful hmm. for Jews to know something about Philo or the Dead Sea Scrolls or Josephus. Um, so it's, it's perfectly fine for Jews to say, yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Jewish literature. Why not do the same thing with most of the New Testament? It doesn't mean mm -hmm. we have to agree with everything it says, but it's still part of our history. I think it's very, very important for Christians to understand that we can't even use the term Christianity in terms mm -hmm. in the New Testament. It occurs there a handful of times. I mean, AJ, is it five times that you have the term? Three times, I, uh, okay, I overestimated. So three times in the entirety of the New Testament. And for Christians to understand that the earliest Christianity in, square, in scare quotes really was a form of Judaism. And that in order to understand Christianity, you really have to be well embedded within other forms of Judaism of the first century of the common era. And you cannot really understand the New Testament without understanding the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible in a significant way, because all of the authors of the New Testament, even those who never cite the Tanakh, such as the book of Revelation, it's the Hebrew Bible or Tanakh is always at the background of these texts. So in terms of Christian audiences, I think we both really try to emphasize the way in which the New Testament writers and readers knew the Hebrew Bible or Tanakh very, very well. And if they really want to understand their scriptures well, then they need to understand the Hebrew Bible as well. If one understands the, the traditions, the practices, the various beliefs, the, the various political views of first century Jews, one can locate Jesus and Paul and James and Peter and all the Marys within that context. But what's happened is Christians, for the most part, don't know that history. So um, they will sometimes invent this toxic Jewish context and then Jesus comes in like the rider on the white horse, which is an image from Revelation, um, or the social justice warrior, which is an image from contemporary politics, um, and fixes Judaism, which had gone so far off the rails. Um, and what happens in that case is that Christians get the message that Judaism then and Judaism now was just toxic. So what we're also able to do as historians um, is to show, no, if you mischaracterize Judaism, you're gonna get Jesus wrong and you're gonna get Paul wrong. 
And if you mischaracterize Judaism, you are likely to develop anti-Jewish statements and anti-Jewish teachings. Don't do that. You don't need to make Judaism look bad in order to make Jesus look good. Rather, in order to make Jesus be the historical figure that he is, you need to know something about Second Temple Judaism and how those Jews interpreted their own scriptures as well. I think that is such a powerful statement. I remember reading an article that Amy Jill Levine published years ago, and she pointed out how Christians talk about Jesus and women in the New Testament. And Christians tend to say it was awful being a woman in Jewish society, and Jesus comes and he majestically rescues women and elevates women. I asked Dr. Shazer if he has heard some of those things before, too. Yeah, there's this idea in Christianity that everything in first century Judaism with the Pharisees and the Sadducees is like suppressive to women or depressive and marginalizing. And and Jesus comes around and he's, you know, the first feminist or whatever, you know. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, just completely untrue. Some of this stuff, it, it comes out of, it comes out of a place that I, you know, I can understand it. So for example, um, there, there's a trope, right, in, in churches, and I, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Cindy, the, the notion that like when the women at the, uh, at the empty tomb, when they give their testimony to the disciples, the disciples go, ah, we think it's idle talk, and they don't believe them. That's in Luke's gospel. And so there's this big snowball in, in like church tradition and interpretation that in first century Judaism, a woman's testimony was, was worthless because women were, you know, less than in first century Jewish culture. And um, it's just not so, you know, when you, when you go into the Jewish literature, and as you mentioned, Cindy, the archaeology, you know, we see w- uh, women's names inscribed as, as arche synagogue, as leaders of the synagogue. Um, we see them, you know, as elders, essentially, for lack of a better term, in the synagogue system. We, we've got instances in rabbinic literature of women studying Torah. Um, you know, it, it even goes back before rabbinic literature. This gets us actually into some of the, so the Catholic texts in what Protestants call the Apocrypha. If you read the wonderful story called Susanna, which is an addition to the book of Daniel, you see right at the beginning that, that it says Susanna's parents trained her really closely in the Torah, in, in the law of Moses. So she, she was like an, a Torah expert, right? If women are marginalized and suppressed and not allowed to learn what men are allowed to learn, what is Susanna doing being a Torah scholar? You know, um, that is the, the Jewish texts, both before Jesus and the second temple period and the rabbinic ones later on, they just don't bear this idea out, this dichotomy out that suddenly Jesus had it all figured out that women, men and women now are finally equal. And, you know, Cindy, we've talked about my course on women and gender in the Bible for Israel Bible Center. I would really encourage people to go and check that out because there's just a lot to be said that I think that uh, Christian tradition and contemporary Christian discourse kind of misses on the gender question. There are so many more nuances to this conversation I think we should talk about. So we're going to come back to this again next week. Thank you for joining me as we heard a little bit from Dr. Amy Jill Levine and Dr. Mark Brettler, 
Full access to this and other roundtable talks are available to you when you sign up for Israel Bible Center Certificate Program in Jewish Context and Culture. You can find us on the web at israelbiblecenter.com or click on the link in the notes at the bottom of this episode. It will seriously only take you three minutes to enroll in the program. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible.